Chapter 3 The Madness The boy sat on the inside edge of the pit. He let out a deep sigh. At this moment, with the waxing crescent moon sitting high overhead, providing a modicum of light, the boy felt more... relaxed? Satisfied? Content than he had in a long time. He was more firm in his footing along this new path, more sure of himself than he'd ever been. Even after he had clawed his way out of the desert with his new will to live, he had not had this feeling. After rising from the ashes of his beating from axes, he had this same strength of purpose, but no direction. He had been like a ship buffeted by a powerful wind, but with no rudder to steer it, and no destination. So he had aimed at the only thing in front of him, and pursued his goal with the only tool he had seen used in this place, killing. But now, he had the wind, and was working on the tools to get him where he needed to go. All he needed was a destination that suited him. But he was not too worried about that. The destination would reveal itself, he was confident. Right now, he just wanted to enjoy this moment, this feeling. But, like a late-shift crystal miner, the darker parts of his mind began to awaken. As if sensing his lack of concern, his anxieties began to crop up again. They started small, pricking at him like thorns. He must have forgotten something. No, no, I haven't. The boy's contented smile turned to a slight frown. Things can't be this good. You're not allowed to feel this good. The boy closed his eyes, blinking hard, trying to push down the questions. Didn't something seem off about Axes' speech? He put his hands to the back of his neck, rubbing it in irritation. Why did he change from the usual plan? Has he ever done that before? The boy let a low growl, getting up and grabbing his shovel from where it lay beside the pit. What's so different about this raid? Why would Craven want to change the plan? Is there something dangerous about it? He hopped off the ledge and into the half-finished latrine. Aren't you worried about him at all? He lifted the shovel back and planted it firmly in the ground. As he hoisted a large chunk of earth from the pit, the boy hissed, There's nothing I can do about it, trying to drown out the questions. He set to the task with a fury, as if he could bury the question with the dirt he excavated from the pit. But with each plant of the shovel and plunk of the dirt to the ground, the questions only became harder to push away. Why are you trying so hard to avoid these questions? Nope. There's just nothing he could do. Is there something I'm trying to avoid? No. He was on a new path. The past was the past. He had confronted its darkness earlier. He was confident now. Self-assured. Right. Why am I so uncomfortable with being content? The shovel stopped. This was no small anxiety. This question was real. But he kept digging. Why am I so afraid of these questions? Deeper. Why do I have to do this to myself? 
he dug deeper. Why do I beat myself up over the smallest things? He was dripping with sweat, but still he continued to dig. Why can't I just be happy? That it came to him like hitting bedrock. Because I know I don't deserve it. Images of blood on his hands, rage filling his heart, a red haze glazing over his vision. Her face, her horrified face. Ah! The boy lifted his shovel high, exasperation and panic driving his actions. He planted it as hard as he could, trying to drive the memories down with it. Shting! What was that? The boy looked down at the shovel head, but couldn't see anything in the dim firelight. He raised the shovel again and planted it, a bit lighter this time. Shting! There was definitely something there. It sounded hard, rocky, or metallic. The boy couldn't tell. He reached down, glad to have something new to occupy his thoughts. He pushed the shovel aside and felt around with his hands. There was... Something. It was jagged and yet also smooth in parts. He continued to feel out the object, searching for the edges with his fingertips, trying to judge its shape. It seemed to be some kind of nail about the size of one of the camp's many tent stakes. He inched his fingers underneath the nail-like object, prying it free of the hardened earth. Wrenching it loose of its dusty tomb, the boy held the item up towards the campfire. He had been right about the shape. It was some sort of nail. It had a flat head, a pointed end, and was a bit shorter than a tent stake. It was made of a material that he'd never seen before. The boy turned it over in front of the shifting light of the fire. The jagged edges of the material looked like they had been chipped away as opposed to shaped like iron. The dark surfaces of each chiseled groove reflected the fire's glow like obsidian glass. The boy was mesmerized by his new discovery. Holding the nail up to the fire with his left, the boy reached out and felt the tip of the pointed object. He grazed his thumb across it, drawing blood instantly. Ah, shit, he breathed. The boy put his thumb to his mouth, cleaning away the blood. He held the cut in front of his face, seeing a new bubble well up from his scored flesh. He reached for his tattered shirt to tear away some cloth for a small bandage, and a jolt of intense pain shot through him, emanating from the wound. The shock knocked him down to sit on the edge of the pit. He grabbed hold of the appendage tightly, trying to wrap the piece of cloth around it, hoping to stem the flow of blood. Another jolt. The boy moved quicker, heartbeat racing, fumbling to tie the knot. Had he been poisoned? It jolted again. His fingers faltered with the difficulty of tying the knot with one hand. There it was again. Was it coming at regular intervals? Again. The boy had the bandage tied, but the sensation didn't stop. The feeling wasn't so much more painful anymore. In fact, it felt familiar somehow. And that scared him even more. The pulsing feeling began to expand, each pulse moving it farther down the thumb. First knuckle, second. His whole hand was pulsing. The boy reached down for his shirt again. He didn't know what this was, but he was not going to let it get any further. He tore off a large piece of the cloth. The feeling extended to his elbow now. The boy moved quickly, tying a knot frantically just below the shoulder. He grabbed the end with his teeth, pulling the knot tight, cutting off the flow of blood to his arm. Another pulse. It hadn't worked. The pulsing continued into his shoulder, spreading through his chest, quickly expanding to the rest of his body. The boy didn't know what to do. His breath was coming quickly. He was panicking for sure. His eyes searched for a way out of this chaos. 
a haze like that of the desert began to cloud around the edges of his vision. As he looked up, he saw something across the fire. He couldn't quite make it out, but there was some sort of figure there, roughly human-shaped and cloaked completely in that same heat haze. There was no way to tell, but the boy could feel that this being was looking at him. The man or man-shaped thing stood, rising to about the same height as the boy. It took a step forward, then another, walking straight through the fire. Its cloudy edges seemed to phase right through the blaze. The boy's hands scrabbled backwards, trying to pull himself from the pit, get himself away from this creature. This was all happening too fast. The pulsing in his body had coalesced now, subsiding from his appendages and seeming to reside mostly in the center of his chest, like a second heart. The boy's feet slipped as he scrambled from the pit. He looked up, trying to judge the distance to the ominous figure. The being was looking him straight in the eyes. If its featureless face could look at all, it was crouching on its toes, elbows on knees, staring at him quizzically with an eyeless face. The two of them sat still for a moment. The boy could see the cloudy haze of the mystical form was throbbing malignantly, and that throbbing seemed to resonate with the rhythm in his chest. Slowly, the figure reached a hand towards the boy. The boy did not flinch back. For some reason, he could not move an inch under the creature's gaze. However, he felt there was no malice in the figure's movement either. The being's hand extended. The boy closed his eyes, and the creature pressed against the center of his chest from where the sensation was emanating. A feeling of euphoria exploded through the boy's body. All the aches and pains, worries, and little injuries that he'd suffered seemed to disappear. Not only that, but he felt control. He felt as if he had complete control. Not just of his mind or body, but at the deepest levels of his entire being. He could feel the sinewy muscles, bones, and skin cells across his body as if they were a full finger or a hand. He knew instinctively that he could manipulate them, isolate them, and destroy them if he needed to. And with every pulse of his now warm and resonant chest, he felt this sensation more intimately. The boy opened his eyes, wanting to see the strange creature again, share this feeling with it, ask what it was. But the translucent being was gone. The boy looked around, but it had disappeared just as suddenly as it had appeared before him. He tried to see if any of the desert haze which had comprised the creature still lingered, but could find none. He looked down at the night-black nail resting in his hand. There didn't seem to be anything different about the object itself, but as the boy looked at it, he noticed a thin, darkening layer of the hazy substance had cloaked itself around him, seeming like the misty creature to resonate with the pulsing rhythm in his chest. As he observed the shadowy haze, he remembered where he'd felt this pulsing feeling before. He thought of it just earlier today. The same heat haze had coalesced around him on the day he had nearly died at Axis's hand. When he really thought about it, on that day, he had felt this kind of sensation as well. That day... No. The voice came as a whisper but it cut through the air like a scythe. The boy lifted his face slowly. He could already feel the pulsing sensation leaving him, but that was an afterthought. 
his eyes raised to look upon the figure he knew would be there. His gaze landed on the delicate sight of the woman. She was standing in front of Axis's tent, as if she was about to enter. Both her hands were raised, covering her mouth, and her eyes. Those eyes. They were the same eyes as that day. They were not the eyes of a broken, soulless woman from the last few months. The woman who had sold them into slavery, who'd subjected herself to Axis's attentions, who'd sat by and watched as he'd been beaten near to death on more than one occasion. No, these were not those eyes. These eyes were clear as silken pools of darkness. And they were terrified. No, more than that. Horrified. Disgusted. And just like that, the dam broke. And he remembered. He remembered what that small piece of his mind that told him to hate himself had never forgotten. He remembered what happened at the orphanage. Why they had had to leave. Why they had to escape. He remembered his sin. Sunlight spilled into the garden courtyard of the orphanage. Radiant green grass sprawled out onto the open ground. Lively vines covered massive pillars spiraling ever skyward and dotted with forever blooming flowers. Like sediment stirred from the bottom of a pond, the fragments of memory bubbled to the surface. There was the short, dark-haired form of Sensine as they ran playing, warm grass underfoot. They were playing touch the tree, and as it so often did, the game would end with one of them tackling the other to keep him from winning. There was a playful yell as the boy reached out and caught him, pulling Sensine to the ground, golden laughter echoing through the courtyard as they wrestled back and forth. The boy tried to stand up, but his old friend pulled him back down by the leg. As the boy reached down to catch his fall, his hand slipped on the dew-sodden grass, face crashing hard into the dirt. He could feel his nose crack, blood beginning to gush down his face. His temper flared red-hot. He turned on his friend with a frantic, beast-like rage. Without knowing it, his slum survival instincts had kicked in. The sky seemed to darken around him. The sudden anger was pulsing through him in waves. Sensine's eyes were wide with terror. He needed to teach this boy a lesson, so he'd be sure not to encroach on his territory again. The boy reached out, grabbing the child by the shirt with one hand, that resonant rage heating his whole body from the chest outward, air warping around him, sizzling at the power of his will. A dark haze crawled over the courtyard, and he lifted his fist high to begin the punishment. There was a crash. The boy looked up. He was breathing heavily, heat dissipating from his body, sweat dripping from him as he'd awoken from a as if he'd awoken from a night terror. The boy turned his head, his gaze landing upon the cause of the noise. It was the woman, the life giver, face wearing a horrified expression, water spilling away from her feet where a vase she'd been carrying had dropped. She looked as if she was staring upon the great demon himself. What had happened? Had he done something wrong? Why was she looking at him like that? The boy looked down slowly, focusing in on his right hand, seeing blood dripping from a clenched fist. 
there was a hazy black substance clinging to his skin that seemed to dissipate by the second. His gaze fell further, past his hand, toward the ground. There was a white shirt speckled red with blood. Whose blood was that? His gaze continued upward, finally landing on a bloody, misshapen face. The face of his friend, Sensine. He stared at that face and felt nothing. Blood oozed from the boy's nose and mouth. Loose teeth dotted the grass. His jaw was stretching his skin at an odd angle. But seeing all this, the boy was empty. What had happened? He stared at the face of his bleeding friend, searching for an explanation. His mind was blank, not knowing what to do or think. He looked over at the woman again. Maybe she'd know what was going on, what to do. She was already walking towards him, face a mixture of emotions. As she reached the two boys, she gently pushed him aside and knelt before his friend. She put a finger to his neck for several seconds. He was so pale. She then laid her hands upon Sensine's face. They began to glow with a soft white light. After a few minutes, some color returned to the boy's face. His wounds looked slightly less gruesome. The glow faded, and the woman let a deep breath, slumped over, hands on her knees. She stayed like that for a few moments, breathing steadily, seeming to stare at nothing. Then she stood up, turned to the boy, face an emotionless mask. She quickly grabbed him by the arm and began to pull him toward the water pump where she had just filled her broken vase. The boy did not fight her. His thoughts moved too slowly. He could only watch as she hurriedly wiped the blood from his hands and nose, then pulled him back towards the orphanage's wooden door. She led him through the familiar church, eventually opening the door to the room that he shared with Sensine. She pulled him over to his bed and sat him down, staring blankly at the wall. He could faintly hear her say, I'll be back, as she left the room. The boy stared at the heavy stone wall across from his bed, eyes resting several stones above Sensine's neatly tucked sheets. The orphanage was unusually quiet. The younger children were on their study program at the animal foundry on the more agricultural outskirts of the city. They took the trip nine times per year, or at the end of every cycle. But the two boys had been allowed to stay behind this time, having just aged out of their cycles. The two of them had entered the Wizening upon their 13th birthdays, and as such, they were each given 153 days to decide what calling they wanted to follow and which church they wanted to serve under. In this period, they were allotted time for prayer, meditation, and interviews with different priests and Cadenites who practiced different callings. They were even given some free time to play and explore their own interests. The priest said the tradition was based on the great prophet's first wizening period, where it is said that at the age of 13 he discovered the great powers that he held, and instead of going off to hurt and destroy, as many of the humans of the time would, he sat in his hut and meditated on what he wished to do with his newfound powers, ultimately deciding to dedicate his life and his energies to the gods who had given him both, taking the first fateful steps towards a peaceful world. This was one of the most important times in a boy's life, and both he and Sensine, Sensine, 
blood dripped from his hands. His friend's face was broken. Teeth dotted the two green grass. The boy's thoughts froze. Where had that come from? His mind quickly moved on, internal musings beginning again. The boys had devoted themselves to discovering who they wanted to be since their wizenings began. But on days like these, where there were very few authority figures around to watch them, they often got into trouble. Whether it was pulling pranks, jumping the wall of the orphanage and exploring the bustling city around them, or just being a little too loud during times of prayer, the two of them were always skirting the lines of propriety. But they always managed to but they always managed to avoid trouble, never getting caught doing anything too bad. Sensine wasn't the type to get into mischief himself, but the boy knew he could pull his friend into anything. Yes, they would always stick together, he and his friend. The boy's thoughts slowed. His gaze settled on the empty bed in front of him. He and his friend... His mind emptied. Time passed. The light from the room's square window shifted across the floor and took on a dark shade of orange as the sun began to set. Silence corroded the air around the boy. There was a knock at the door. The woman stepped in. She was holding a leather pack. Without looking at the boy, she went to the wooden box at the end of his bed where he kept his things. She began sifting through it, shoving various items of clothing into the already half-filled bag. The boy did not move, only stared at her as she went about her task. When she finally closed the bag, she stepped in front of the boy, reaching out to grab his arm. She hesitated. The boy could see a tension like fear crawl across her face. Then, she reached down and gently grabbed him by the hand. She looked him in the eyes, no trace of the fear from before. Now those eyes were open, tender even. She spoke. Come on, we have to go. She lightly pulled him to his feet and towards the door. The boy did not fight her. He could hardly process what was going on, still dazed. As they made their way through the halls of the orphanage, the boy asked, Where are we going? Moving swiftly, the woman responded, Away from this place. As the two reached the door that opened out into the city, the boy felt himself pull back, slowing them both to a stop in front of it. A pang of sadness pierced the void within him for just a moment. The boy whispered, Sensine, is he okay? The woman turned back and met his gaze, a tentative yet sympathetic smile on her face. He'll be fine. Her face turned serious again before saying, But we need to be away from here when he wakes up. Come on. And with that, she dragged the boy out the door of what was once his home. And as the sun set over Caden City, they began their long escape from the Navariate territories. The boy's back hit the latrine wall. He slid down until his knees were at his chest. Wrapping his arms around them, he began to rock back and forth gently, head hitting the dirt wall of the latrine lightly. It felt like the event had just happened. He'd experienced it all over again, the shock, the emptiness. What he'd done, no wonder he'd blocked it from his mind. It all made sense now. It was his fault. 
It was all his fault. He was the cause of all their suffering. He was evil. He'd committed the prophet's greatest sin. More than that, he was the embodiment of sin itself. He should be dead. He was one of the touched. He should be dead. Along with his whole family. Why wasn't he dead? Across all the churches, faiths, and all the territories in the Navariate, the one precept that never changes in wording or interpretation was that the prophet's greatest sin must be burned from the earth. There was no leeway there. He should have been weeded out and cleansed by the truth-seekers as soon as his sin manifested. He should be dead. So why wasn't he? She saved him. Why had she saved him? She was a life-giver, one of the priestesses of the church herself. She was supposed to hold the words of the prophet above all else. By all the precepts, she should have turned him in immediately and cleansed herself for weeks after even touching him. But she hadn't. Why hadn't she? Was he wrong about her all this time? Was she really trying to protect him from the church? His thoughts were a jumble. His mind was frantically grasping for solidity as all his preconceptions were breaking down. No, it's her fault, he railed. She brought me out here to punish me. My death alone was not enough for the gods. Deep down, he knew this was not true. The look she'd given him, the love in her eyes, but he hated her for so long, and she'd given up on him, and the boy stopped his rocking, still staring at the dimly lit wall of the pit. Why should I care what the gods think? Why should I care what she thinks? Hadn't he forsaken the gods and their words? Hadn't he erased her from his heart? The images came again, blood on his enshadowed fist, Sensine's mangled face, his rage, his power, his sin. The rocking became more frantic. It was too much. His sin, the woman, the power, what he had done to Sensine. It was in his past, but it was too much. His mind was spinning out of control. This person, the thing he had done, the suffering he had caused. It was warring with the person he was trying so desperately to become. It was all too much. His mind was fracturing. He put his hands to his head, scratching at his skull, trying to pull the thoughts out, drawing blood. There was too much. It had to stop. He had to stop. And eventually, it did. His mind continued to spin out of control. Ideas circling each other, making no connections and finding no answers. After a long while, he began to drift. Thoughts rotating in and out like leaves blown from a tree. He just sat there, rocking back and forth for what could have been hours. Mind slowly turning, eyes staring unblinking at the inside of the pit.